podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the review show on the Anfield Wrap after Liverpool managed to win, draw, lose, draw and eventually win against West Ham United by three goals to two. I'm Dan Morgan and I've got Ian Ryan and I've got Paul Cope. And Ian, it's a game that serves a lot of reminders in many ways and one of the most fundamental being that there's a reason that Jürgen Klopp instills these values into his players, the values of working harder than your opponents and the values of no matter who you're up against, you know, you leave it all on the pitch and you make sure that there's no way in which they in many ways outwork you, which at times happened last night and as a result, it got a little bit sticky. It did get a bit sticky and I think maybe as a collective, we all thought it would be maybe an easy one, a nice nice at the office. It wasn't that, anything but that in the end. You know, the crowd wasn't particularly vibrant. It was quite a, it was a strange game, I thought. Mm. You know, you're five games away from winning the league and yet it didn't feel anything like that really. So it did obviously change as, as the game wore on and stuff and we found ourselves 2-1 behind and actually the crowd kind of came into it a lot more. But I felt the players... I don't know whether I'd say sluggish, but certainly it, it wasn't quite right. And actually, I think you've got to give maybe West Ham a little bit of credit here. Um, you know, if you look at the previous game, they set up very much to contain. So it's five at the back. It's Haller up top on his own. And they change it this time. And Moyes probably deserves a, a, a bit of praise for that because he does leave, whether you like them or not, he leaves £67 million worth of striking talents on the bench. And this is a team that doesn't score goals. So Haller doesn't start. Jared Bowen is new signing in January, doesn't start. But what he has got, he's got Philip Anderson back in the team, doesn't play in the game a few weeks back, and he's got Michael Antonio in the team as well. And they are two pivotal players for him. So they allow West Ham to get up the pitch a lot quicker. Antonio's winning all the, all the goal kicks, flicking them on. West Ham are really good on second balls. And then obviously getting up the pitch higher, they're playing for set pieces, and... Philip Anderson's got really good delivery as a snowgrass as well. So I think there was a definite game plan there from West Ham. And Moyes actually says post-match, you know, we, we we did want to chop and change the system three or four times in the game to try and confuse Liverpool a little bit and have a proper go at them. And I think when you look at how West Ham have played recently, it's been it's been horrific, to be honest. They had one win, so they beat Bournemouth in Moyes' first game. And I think there's a general feeling around the club um, that they'd rather... They'd rather kind of burn than just fade away. And it's been very much fading away in recent weeks. And they have a real goal last night and they caused Liverpool a fair few problems. I mean, they only have 30% possession. So, no, they're not, they're not kind of, you know, all overs or any points. And they have a similar amount of possession in the game that I referenced um, at West Ham a few weeks back as well. But with those two players I mentioned, they're the two lads who are a threat. They're causing problems. The set-piece stuff's really interesting because it reminded me a little bit of Burnley. Uh, from a season or two ago with the very much in front of Alisson caused them loads of problems. And you see for the first goal, he's pushing them out the way, trying to free up a bit, a little bit of space. Um, but yeah, I thought West Ham did themselves no harm at all in their fight for survival. Killing me agenda here, lads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cove, just to, before I come to West Ham, just back to the original point. I mean, it's. do you think it serves Liverpool well in a perverse way that you know it wasn't just a procession after Wijnaldum's goal, that it wasn't just a, a stroll to 3-0 and everyone's had the night off? Do you think for the games they've got coming up, most notably you think about Atletico at home, you know, West Ham are a... Nowhere near the level of Diego Simeone, Atletico Madrid, but in many ways they came with the same principles to squeeze Liverpool to look to break when they mm. can to play for set pieces. So, do you think there's a way in which keeping Liverpool honest is a, is a good thing? 100%, yeah, for, for everything, for, for all involved. Because yeah. even Ian saying then about the 
the crowd, what the last thing any of us wants is. And I was I was joking with the lads I'm at the match with last night about this. We've all fallen into the, and we're all doing it now. Everyone's gone from, or most people I know have gone from, don't jinx it, to what game do we want to win the league at? Like, when when can we ideally win the league? And literally people arguing about it going, no, but I'm away that weekend, so I, I don't want us to win the league. And I went to one of my mates. One of the lads was actually going, it was Jono, Jacko, was actually going, well, if we win it that day, I've got to be in work the next day, so I can't stay out. And I went to him, imagine if 10 years ago, I said to you, it's going to be another 10 years till we win the league. Yeah. We're going to do it at a procession with record-breaking points, and you're going to be saying, well, I've got to go to work the next day, mate. It's 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 almost become a little bit ridiculous now. So I think going back to sort of um, the opponent's performances, when we played Southampton the other week and they gave us a bit of a test, I said that would do us good because it set us up well for the future. Mm. Same with this one, exactly what you're saying about Atletico. What we don't want to happen for the rest of the season, if we want to do all the things we think we're capable of, we don't want to do what's happened to a lot of Pep Guardiola sides in the past where you've won the league at a bit of a canter and then you can't get that intensity for the Champions League latter stages, which you need, like regardless. Even if we get through against Atletico, whoever we play in the next round, it's, it's just going to be intense from now on. And the thing that stands us out in Europe is we're far more intense than the, the opponents. If that dips by 5%, we saw last night, it doesn't take much for the crowd or for the team. Even with this incredible team we've been watching for months now, it doesn't take much like drop-off or even players missing. All of a Jordan, Jordan Henderson's missing and all of a sudden you're like, oh, bit of a gap in this side now, a bit of a change of structure, change of intensity. So I think that last half hour will be brilliant for them to refer back to. Yeah. We'll come back to we'll, we'll go on to West Ham then, Ian, and, and you've already referenced them, but they, they do deserve tons of credit. I agree with you. I think it's it's a game that serves as an interesting sort of foresight in terms of having to play a team so quickly again after already playing them. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, West Ham know what they're getting from Liverpool. They know they know Liverpool won't deviate too much from what they've done all season. But Moyes is trying different things to make something work. He's he's entering a period of games that are. Seemingly challenging in their own way. I think the run of games he's got coming up now, I think the next five are, are a nightmare on paper by the looks of it. Um, and in many ways, you know, they look they look possibly doomed. However, when you look at them in against us, it's it's what they give up. I think that's interesting. I think against us at home, they kind of try to focus on wide areas, and therefore, you know, we just open them up through the middle of the park. You see, for the the break after their corner. We get a goal from Oxley Chamberlain, I think, if I remember rightly. And then last night, as much as they press well and they try and condense us, they give up quite a bit in terms of our fullback areas. And it does tend to hurt them. But like you say, I think on the break, especially with Antonio, Felipe Anderson was brilliant for how long he was on the pitch. They've done really well. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Anderson's a strange player because I think if you look at last year, he was a player that people spoke about in terms of maybe making that step up to a top four or a top six team. It hasn't really happened for him this season um, for one reason or another, but he played really well last night. And actually when Moyes takes him off, I don't know if there was any kind of slight knock there, but when he went off, they became a far kind of easier team to play against, mm-hmm. if you like, because he, he retains the ball really well, but he gets them up the pitch quite quick as well, at like 15, 20 yards. He's got a nice little turn of pace. And I think Antonio as well, um, again, he's... I mean, maybe my memory's playing tricks, but every time he seems to go up against Antonio, he seems to have a worldy. He's just a, a nightmare to play against. Yeah. All the attributes that you don't really want to face. He's big, powerful again, strong, got a turn of pace about him, good in the air. Um, and he did he did cause us problems. And I think, you know, those two in particular were, were West Ham's outlet, really. And I think also, you know, even... 
I mean, Noble and and, and kind of Rice, they're, they're, they're interesting players. I mean, I think Noble gets a fair amount of stick um, because he's probably his best days are behind him. And Rice is a funny player where if you watched him against Man City, mm. he was probably West Ham's best player. Uh, and he has spells last night. I mean, he obviously creates the, the second goal for 4-0s, which I think is an element of luck there. I think he just plays it into space. And obviously, Liverpool have been caught napping and stuff. So it was interesting that Moise decided to have a little bit more of a goal last night. But I do think it was almost a case of, well, we're going to get beat anyway because you can't contain Liverpool. And he actually references after the game and says, you know, no matter what you do and no matter what problem you can oppose, this Liverpool team's so good now that they've literally got answers to every problem. And it's not just us as West Ham. Everyone's coming here and everyone's taking a hiding and everyone's getting beat. And there's not a great deal you can do about it, but at least I'm going to have to have a go. And I think, you know, he'd rather go that way and fall on the sword a little bit because I think, as I referenced before, West Ham fans are a little bit sick, a little bit tired now. There's all the, the Golden Sullivan stuff going on behind in the background as well. It's a bit of a toxic place. So it's just... I think he felt, well, with Southampton on the horizon, that's maybe one game where we could get some points, even though it's a tough match. And I've got to take a little bit of confidence into that. So for me to do that, I've got to have a little bit of a go and take something away from this game. What I think that's interesting is, I think, look, it's said off, often we, we wonder what gets said in opposition camps and opposition dressing rooms and before games against Liverpool. But I think yesterday you see kind of where Moyes had warned them. And I think they come out, especially when they come out after the second half, I think they're waiting for Liverpool. They kind of... I'm, I'm thinking to myself, the first five minutes of that second half, I'm thinking these are here for the taking. Hmm. Because they just look like they're ready for an onslaught. And it doesn't doesn't really materialise. And I think you can probably say the same for the last ten of the first half. That you can, I think you can tell where Moyes said to them, this is where we're probably going to have to just cough for it. But other, other phases in the game, we'll look to build and we'll look to see what we can get. But when it doesn't come... They, they start to grow cope, don't they? And they start to, like any team, you grow and your belief in your own ability comes and it doesn't matter where you're playing. If you think you're in a game, then there's something to hold on to. But with that and with the mentality of a champion, which Liverpool will inevitably be, there comes that thing of almost getting a lead too early against them, which hasn't happened too much, but I think you sense that as well. Mm. It's almost okay, but well, we've got this now. Oh, hang on, we've got how long to hold on? And then that scoreboard pressure and that time just seems to slow down and slow down and slow down. It's all these things that we haven't experienced before, but we're now seeing play out. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Just on the on the first point, the, the first 10 minutes of the second half is one of the weirdest like spells of football yeah. I've seen for ages. Really strange. Like exactly what you were just saying there. It, it felt like it was all in limbo. And then the build-up to their goal, it was like, sorry, what, have we, why have we just decided to let them have the ball? Yeah. With, like untouched for two minutes. This is ridiculous. But then... Th- I when they went ahead, I like the first thing I thought of was when we played Everton in the semi all those years ago, the cup semi, and I watched it in a in like a how in a, in mate's family house with Evertonians and Liverpoolians mixed in, and it was it was brilliant getting to watch Evertonians up front because they went ahead in that game as well, and you could they it, I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> they scored and shit themselves at the same time. Mm. They like their faces were like, and then I remember going on Moyes, and it was like everyone looks at Moyes and goes. What do we do now? We hadn't talked about this, and he's like, oh, "Fuck me if I know." <laughs> and when I thought that in the ground last night, but then when I watched the when I watched the goals back, the highlights back this morning, if you freeze frame, do you know when when they score the second, and then they go to celebrate in front of their fans, if you look at all, the, there must be eight of their players there. If you look at each of their faces, I'd say two of them are celebrating like it's a goal, and they've gone ahead, and that's you know, the normal celebration. The rest of them have got this look on their face, like, "Oh my god, can you believe we're going? We've gone ahead." Yeah, and. 
that is a massive psychological problem for any team. Like when, especially as you say, and then you look at the score, you look at the scoreboard, you look at the time, and then everyone remembers how good we are and remembers the team we're playing. Then the crowd gets up, and I was sitting there thinking, "This is this is like the Incredible Hulk now. It's like you're not going to like us when you make us angry." We, we'd we'd all been quite placid up until that point. The crowd, they're doing the usual away fans thing of singing the boring songs about libraries and all that. And for the last half hour, I was sitting there thinking, "I bet you wish you'd never scored that goal." Now Neil often talks about this, which and I think it's a really good point. When a, when the side does the thing that the worst thing that could happen. So we went behind mm. and that hasn't happened to us for a long time in the league. And then it was like, we best put our finger out then, hadn't we? And Chamberlain comes on and comes on with that bit between his teeth of, well, I'll change this game. The crowd gets up and all of a sudden, the the, the onslaught you're talking about that they're expecting coming out of the second half, they get. And, yeah. and then they don't know what to do with it. In many ways though, I think, I mean, just from my own perspective watching it, I found the game hugely enjoyable because all of a sudden you are faced with that challenge of, what do you do now? We're in the game. And also, you've not really got the pressure of, well, if it does go against you and you don't manage to kind of peg it back, then nothing really changes. You know, it's 19 points instead of 22. What well, well, big deal? We're still going to go and win the league. Obviously, you want to maintain the record and feel, you know, push for the, the 100 points, all that kind of stuff. But it wouldn't have been an end in the world if you'd end up with a draw. But I just, I enjoyed watching them solve those problems because West Ham had something to cling on to and they're fighting for the lives, by the way. So it's no easy, this is no easy win for Liverpool. They've got to work hard. We're not particularly playing well. You know, you're struggling to go through the 11 and think, Actually, who's a who's an eight or who's a nine here? There's, there's not many really. Trent probably, well, absolutely, you know, two assists. Um, he drives Liverpool on. I'd say Robbo other side as well, similar. Um, there's an intensity to his game. Maybe his delivery's not quite the same level as Trent's for the majority of the match, but he's still doing okay. But other than that, you're really thinking, well, you know, Mane's off it a little bit. The midfield doesn't quite look right. Fabinho's not been able to find his his kind of form. You know, it's taken him a little bit of time to kind of get his rhythm back. You know, Nabi has a an interesting game, you know, depending on who you want to kind of believe on social media, he had one of the best games of his life, or he was he was horrendous. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Nabi's the um, Jordan Henderson, isn't he? Well, he the is. You know, I, I mean, the, the Henderson thing as well. I mean, interesting you mention it, Cope, because Henderson's not even playing last night, and still he's probably the most talked about player on social media, which you find a little bit bizarre because there's a lot of fans saying, well, actually, we missed Jordan Henderson. And I think we did, you know, it's, it's, it's a lad who sets tempo. Um, he deserves huge credit for what he's done this season and whether you like him or not I think you've surely got to recognise that when he's taken out of that team it does have an impact on the eleven. Um, but in terms of divisive players I mean those two are, are, are two of the most at the minute I mean I, I always think back and it's been referenced I think probably on other shows but when I started going the match and Ronnie Whelan was playing he was always he was the Jordan Henderson figure of the 80s then mm-hmm. where people would would kind of some people would love him and then some people would think well, what does Ronnie Whelan do? But then you take Ronnie Whelan out the team and then you realise what Ronnie Whelan does. He's he's full of intelligence. He's full of clever running, clever movements. And, you know, that's why Bob Paisley would say, well, in a big game, that's the player you look to. It wasn't Rush Daglish, it was Ronnie Whelan because he would stand up and be counted in those big moments. So I found the whole thing really, really interesting. But just from a fan's point of view, it was it was enjoyable to face a slightly different challenge and Liverpool overcome that. This is where I think West Ham deserve credit because I think... It's dead easy to expect West Ham to just come in and do what they've done at their grounds. Play a 5-4-1, sit in with a deep line and just hope for the best. And when you see them line up last night and you see the first 10 play out and you're thinking, hang on, there's kind of a bit of false nine going on. Mark Noble's pushed right up on Fabinho. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at the numbers afterwards, they're matching Liverpool. And I think there's often a skew with this. 
in terms of numbers, in terms of defensive numbers, because there's obviously a lot more pressure on an opposition defence, so they're having to do more work. So when they look match, sometimes it's it's not really it doesn't really tell the full story because Liverpool Virgil van Dijk's only doing half the work of whoever's playing the city up for centre mm. half for West Ham, for example. But when you look at last night, even in an attacking sense, take ons Liverpool sixteen, West Ham fourteen, ball recoveries sixty seven, sixty, dispossessions ten nine, aerial duels ball ten. So the matching Liverpool all the way and the press right on Liverpool. And I think this is where, going back to the original point, Klopp gets to hang a big poster on the wall today and last night saying there are no easy games in this league because look at what they come here and done. And that is, for, for him, I think it's a massive win because you referenced Southampton earlier, Cope Liverpool beat Southampton 4-0. And mm-hmm. everyone's worried about Southampton in the sense that they can come here and get something and they might well have done, but they lose 4-0 is mm-hmm. the point. Liverpool could easily have won 4-0 last night, but as it was... They spend 14 minutes and what feels like an eternity at 1-2 down and then 2-2 and they find a way to win and he's got all of this in his back locker. Just to move on to set pieces because I know Ian's referenced them as well. <laughs> Sorry mate, <laughs> really excited at the beginning. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's two conceded in two games now, Copen. Look, I think in many ways we look for things now to, to maybe make talking points out of and, and I know you reference a lot of have a think about what we're actually moaning about because of the things we've we've put up with down the years. But just to look at it from a review point of view, I mean, do you think there's anything Liverpool are doing different or wrong? Because I had a look at it today and we know Liverpool, when they set up for corners defending, are very dangerous in terms of counter-attacking. But the way in which they mark is very much a joint effort between Zonal and man-to-man. Mm-hmm. And one of the men who often mark is Henderson. Now, whether they've changed that, now, obviously, he starts in Madrid and you can see, but whether they've changed that last night because he's not there, I'm not sure. But they did look susceptible, didn't they? From, I mean, is there, is there a run of three on the build-up to West Ham's equaliser? Yeah, and, and and a series of mistakes as well, because it's in the build-up to that where we cleared, I think it's the first, it's either, well, either the first or the second, obviously, but it might be the first one where we clear it and then it, it drops to Trent and he just slices one right yeah. up in the air. And it, so in any, in any run of... Goal, conceding goals like this there are going to be mistakes Sean's referenced this in the past how, this is how literally how goals come about it's like usually a combination of, of great passing movement between someone a, a piece of genius or a mistake and often it's mistakes I, I often think in sport it's funny actually how in t- tennis seems to be the only sport where we, we measure unforced errors but not in anything else mm. and I think that's it, that's a really big point and I, in the ground when we conceded that I started thinking that well that's that's two on the bounce now is, the, is there an issue and I think you've just got to often you can you can overanalyze it and overthink it because there's there's low we've got a great record of corners now, but defending corners is is obviously an art and a skill and organization, but there's always an element of luck to it because there's elements of it you can't control. And one of the things Ian's already referenced is they had incredible delivery from both sides. And when mm. we, we love referencing our own incredible delivery, and when Trent puts one of those balls into the box or Robbo does. We never say, oh, the defenders were crap there. We just say, what a ball that was. Oxley Chamberlain put one in. We're like, oh, what, what a, a cross that is. You would never criticise the defenders. And I think there was an element of that. If you're in that back line last night, you're saying, God, these lads can cross. And I think some, something else that Michael Owen referenced this a few weeks ago, and I thought it was a brilliant point. And I thought West Ham were doing this very well. And I think we'll see more teams doing this, is targeting our front post. Yeah. And the point about targeting the front post is there's literally less time to readjust. So when you go to the back post, people can see the flight of the ball, they can adjust, more people can move around. 
when you attack the front post, it's it's one of those things that infuriates fans and has infuriated me over the years, and probably because I didn't understand it, because you can just constantly hit the front man. But there's a reason why they keep taking that corner. It's because if you get it right, and you, it, it's got to be inch perfect, but if you get it right, it's really difficult to defend. And if you watch back that goal, I'm looking at it going, well, what could we have done better? What? Where is, where is the mistake? Is the one? Gomez is right touch tight behind the lad who scores. Mm-hmm. You can't get in front of him. The, the delivery is, is taking out the people in front of the ball. Could there be someone closer to him in front? Maybe. But they've had three on the bounce. And we saw a second half, whilst we didn't score from a corner, you're accumulating that pressure and it just puts you under a bit more. Cole, so do I don't think, think it's necessarily a problem. Could have done better. Yeah, well, it's funny, isn't it? As, as Dan Reston's there, I've said this a few times recently. We have no choice but to... We're measuring this team against perfection now. We've and the same with Allison. We're measuring him against perfection, and to, for us to even be in a position where we go, could he have saved that? Just shows how good he is as a goalkeeper. Yeah. Because I mean, we'd I'm have, not we'd sure. Have, uh, we'd have never honest. questioned that in the past, would we? If Mignolet had let that in, we wouldn't have gone. Could could he have saved that? Would be like good header, great header, near post. It's really close to him. It's really powerful. He's got a good connection on it. The the pace of the ball coming in is really quick. But even as I'm saying all of that, there's a little voice in my head going, Alison could save that though. Yeah. The reason I ask is, and I'm obviously uh, when I got in last night, I watched a little bit of the Carragher and Neville stuff and, and they were kind of split really. I think Carragher said, well, if he saves it, it's, a, it's an unbelievable save. Um, but Neville was like, well, by Alison's own high standards, mm. if he's gone home tonight and sat and watched that again, he's probably thinking, could I have done a little bit better? Maybe. I think I, that's I, a good question, actually. I think Alisson says he could do better. Yeah, possibly so. But, but I think you've got to give huge credit, um, first of all, for the delivery, which is outstanding. It's outstanding delivery. And then the header from Diop is, is brilliant. He's three and six now, by the way. So he's a threat at set pieces. But he's come he's come back and then still... Yeah, it's a little bit behind him. Yeah, it's behind yeah. him. He's come back and been able to still generate the power. Listen, there's loads of power on the cross anyway, but it's a brilliant header. And I think Alisson's almost a little bit surprised just how good the header it is. Considering he can see where Diop is, but he makes that little run back and Antonio deserves some credit because he is, he is hustling and bustling the goalkeeper. It doesn't make it easy for him at all. I think that's what does for Gomez, is that it's a little bit behind yeah. him. Because if, if it's a square ball onto his head, then he's got to run alongside mm-hmm. him. He's got to jump alongside him. where he's, he's essentially jumping into his back. because And I don't think Alisson can then... It's the perfection thing again, you know... you. Fire a ball at me from four yards out. I'm just gonna watch it go by. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna try and do anything. You know, it's like it's one of those things. But I think that's what makes them so good. Is that if you ask him, like you say, he's probably saying, "Yeah, I could do better." And they they're probably saying, "Okay, then let's make you do better from those angles." And that's what we work on. I think as well, what's interesting is when you freeze and look at the body angles. Liverpool are all looking to to move forward. The body angles change from side on to forward, so they're still thinking, "How do we get away here ourselves with the ball?" and I don't think it's an issue, Ian. Do you, do you think it's any, any issue going forward? No, I don't. I, I think it's, I mean, you know, I've not got the stats in front of me, but before Atletico Madrid, I can't even remember the last time where we conceded a set piece. You may be able to tell me when it was, but it feels I think like it a was, long time ago. I think a corner was Genk at home. Um, so I, but what I think they might do, if Henderson's out, I think they might look at swapping Gomez and Van Dijk. Because I think if you if you start getting those situations where they're hanging them up from post and you get a big centre-half from post, then I think your two blockers from post are Robertson and Wijnaldum, if I'm, if I'm correct. I think if you swap swap those two centre-halves and you manage to beat both Van Dijk and the keeper and still get something on target and then, then you've done well. You know, that, that'd be my thing. They probably won't because they're set and they've got the routine and stuff like that. But with Henderson going, it was just a, a bit of an interesting one that I thought it, it 
there did look to be something different. Even second half, I mean, they, they do they do put us under a little bit of pressure with set pieces second half as well. Towards the end, we maybe get a little bit lucky. I think one it's Firmino um, and goes behind. But I think even if you think about that Atletico Madrid one, and I know a lot, there's been a lot on social media about it, they've only got four men in the box because they know how quick Liverpool can spring and break, mm. and that's a huge threat. And teams don't want to commit too many. So I think the Madrid one. They get a little bit, they get a little bit lucky, you know. Four men in the box, we've, we've got eleven men in the box, and somehow it falls to one of their fellas, and he puts it in. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kind of be up nights about it. I think it's just one of those things where two have come at once, a bit of a coincidence. Plus, you've got the delivery of Snodgrass and Philip Anderson, and let's be honest, you know, a lot of play, a lot of teams haven't got that quality delivery where you can just miss the first man out. It was excellent last night from them too. Just on Henderson, Cope, there's a there's a lot of comparisons in his absence now, you know, especially around midfield. Fabinho continues to to need to get his minutes back in mm. and get his match sharpness back up, and I think we're all going to have to cough for that for a little bit. Naby Keita, as you've referenced, as the as the night he has, which is very much the mixed bag. Um, I think what you see when he's not there now is why he's been so good this season is because. He's kind of picked five and ten minute spells where he knows he's needed to just come alive and to just set an example or to to not drag Liverpool in a way that Gerard used to, but to just to just step it up, just to go up a gear himself and then everyone else follows suit. And I think that you probably can't replicate that in many ways, but I think one player who maybe did last night at times was Robertson, mm. where he just kind of set it on himself to go, all right, I'm going to do this and everyone follows my lead. And I think there is there is those players who can show a, a different type of leadership in that sense. And I think we've seen it through different players through Liverpool this season, which has made them what they are. You know, Fabinho was a player early in the season who was doing it, Sadio Mane at times. But I think Robertson in the last two games, I would argue, has, has been Liverpool's best player in terms of when they've needed it, just giving them that 10-minute burst. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Robertson was really good last night. I, I think... My reading of the, of the Henderson thing, for sort of generally, is that it, this comes back to a sort of stats versus watching football with your eyes argument. I saw people arguing during the week online, Joe fans of other clubs trying to discredit for me, you know, by using stats. And like every Liverpool fan involved is like, if you, if you ignore the stats, mate. Like, you, if you don't appreciate what Firmino can do for a football team, you, you don't understand football. Not because the stats are through the roof, by the way. Yeah, exactly. And. That I think Kite is a perfect example because it's funny you referencing before because I'm sort of in the neutral ground with Kite. I'm not in either camp. I'm not fussed either way, really. So I can just watch him for what he was. And I thought he was quite good. I thought going back towards his own goal, he was really, really good. And the stats supported that afterwards, I think. But he didn't give us what he's actually in the team for. And I was thinking it was a good opportunity for him building up to Atletico again because we'll want him in that yeah. game potentially to break the lines and to do everything he does. But the the unquantifiable stuff that you can't see and it, what you can't see in stats, I don't think at all really, is when you take someone like Jordan Henderson out of a side of the pitch that's so important with with, with, with how he interacts with Trent, how important with how he interacts with Salah ahead of him and all the people around him, is firstly shape and secondly demanding the ball constantly. Something we didn't do at all in the first half, I, I referenced as I was watching it, is we didn't move them around. We, weren't, we, we didn't have anyone getting the ball, giving the ball, getting the ball, giving the ball. Ironically, one of the things Henderson's always been criticised for, all the people I know who hate him have always criticised him for it. And like, and it's hard because it's like, I just don't think you understand footy properly if you don't understand what he's doing there because he's moving them around. He's constantly changing the picture. But the other big, completely unquantifiable is that captain's voice. When you you mentioned Gerard, Gerard very much led by example. He, he was, wasn't the lad barking constantly through a game. 
Jordan Henderson is talking to yeah. everybody constantly mm-hmm. through a 90 minutes, everybody around him. Now you're replacing that with a completely different type of footballer, but a completely different character. Naby Keita's not opening his mouth, really, and no one expects him to. But all of a sudden, I can imagine if you're Trent, you miss that. Like you're on the pitch and thinking, God, it's quiet around me. What, why, where's no, one tell, no one's telling me where to go and what to do. And I don't think you can quantify that. And it's funny you reference Robertson because I think he's that similar type of player. But it's literally on the other side of the pitch. And that might sound like a daft thing to say, yeah, but yeah. it's you've got a whole section of the pitch there on the right-hand side where there's no one barking and talking everyone through it. And I, I don't think you can quantify how, how important that is. The manager references Milner as well uh, before the game and says that it's a bit of a blow. Now, I'm not saying he would have started, but just to have him in and around yeah. the playing squad because Henderson wasn't there. Probably the next vocal lad in the dressing room is mm. probably Milner. So to not have them both, a, a bit of a blow. I think the case of things, it, it's interesting because Dan's references, his stats there, um, and they're through the roof. And I, I thought, you know, similar to the game he had at Norwich, he was probably better going back towards his own goal than he was going towards you know, the final third. Because I think there's times where maybe his decision-making's not, it's not quite right or he's a little bit sloppy in possession. He gives one away last night under absolutely no pressure and just completely misses his man from 20 yards. But these type of things can happen if you're not in rhythm. So I almost feel sometimes harsh criticising Katie because you just want to see him have 10 games mm. and then see where he is because then you've got the confidence as well. Because I think when you see some of the things that happened last night, I'm not saying he goes into a shell a little bit, but that mistake I referenced before, he then has a quiet 10 afterwards when actually first... 10-15 he starts quite brightly he's in and around the box he's doing the things that, that you mentioned before Cope that you want him to do actually threatening that final third makes that little kind of error or a couple of little errors where he gives it away and then he all of a sudden he becomes very safe in his passing and stuff and he's not doing the things that I want to see from Naby Keita which is opening up space by going past a player or two but I think if you suddenly find them having I don't know six starts in, in 10 or, or, or five in the next eight or whatever then maybe he gets that little bit of rhythm back and his confidence comes back as well. And it, it helps him to kind of be the player that I think most of us recognise is in there. But I do think it's difficult when you're just dropping lads in and taking them out for a game. It can't be easy for him in a team that is well-oiled, by the way. And it, it works, it pays to perfection. And then all of a sudden you've got to drop a lad in and then take him out and he's back in again. You know, Chamberlain's had, had you know similar kind of experience, I suppose. Maybe slightly different because of the injuries and stuff. But certain games also suit certain footballers. So last night he cried out a little bit for Chamberlain. When he come on, he gives us everything that we had had in terms of that intensity, that drive. You know, Chamberlain can be a funny footballer where sometimes he can be a bit loose in possession, but actually the sitting football matches that just shoot him down to the ground, but he's popping up in those little spaces yeah. and he can't mark him. He's dragging lads out of position. He gets a shot off very early when he comes on last night. And it was just what Liverpool needed in that very moment. But in terms of the Naby stuff, I think, you know, you've got to give him a little bit more time. And I, I find myself keep saying that. There's only so much time he can have, but until he gets that run, until his body stops letting him down, it's... You don't want to be too harsh in the criticism. That said, at some point, something's got to happen. He's got to have that run of games. Otherwise, the manager may look at it and say, listen, for the investment we've made, maybe we've got to look at other options moving forward. I also think certain midfield suits certain midfielders, if that makes sense. And I think that it's no coincidence that Keiter has his best run in a Liverpool shirt, I'd, I'd argue, this season when he's playing with Ronaldo and Henderson. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're seeing when that happens was there were often times where Henderson and Ronaldo were completely comfortable operating as a two. They played 20 yards apart from each other at times, but they were very much a two. And Keita got that freedom then to go and link up with Salah, to go and mm. do his little bits and not have to worry. I think when you give him a specific area of the pitch to manage, i.e. what was he last night, the right side or the left side, whatever it was, I 
I think that's when he, he feels a little bit too... Fabinho's an interesting outlier in this because if, if you normally, if, if you get too close to Fabinho, you can see that the, the subconscious message on the pitch is get away from him, that's his area. Leave him to it. So I think if you pop Chamberlain in there, for example, I think Chamberlain at times, he would struggle in that Henderson, Wijnaldum yeah. midfield because it's almost too much for him to go and do. And I think if you give him an area of the pitch, he's a lot more disciplined, he's a lot more defined. Whereas I think with Keita, he wants that safety and security behind him. It's not a comparison at all, but if you think of how much shit Gilfie Sigurdsson took from Evertonians at the weekend, they wouldn't be complaining half as much if he had two runners behind him. Mm-hmm. He hasn't. They've got no runners in the whole side. That's the whole point. So you could accommodate Gilfie Sigurdsson if you wanted by having two runners behind him. And I'm not saying Liverpool need to accommodate Naby Keita, but there still needs to be a period of integration for him. Whether that's right or wrong, after over a year, that's up for debate. But, I mean, what do you think on him, Cope? I think that the the Fabino point is, is worth referencing because when when Fabino went out and Henderson dropped back into the six, I know lot. I know everyone's been talking about Henderson generally as you know, the best season of his career and all the rest of it. I don't think enough people made enough about how well he played when he dropped back into being a six. It's like everyone sort of convinced themselves he was still playing further forward, but he. I think he took what Fabino was doing in that position and raised it. I think he'd, he'd learned from what he'd done in the past. He'd learned from watching Fabino. He'd learned from playing further forward. And I've said in, in past weeks, he almost started playing that six as a free role because he can get He's so mobile. He can get around everywhere. Fabino's come back in and hasn't, he hasn't matched his own previous level, but he also hasn't matched Henderson's new level. And I think for someone like Naby Keita, going back to what Ian was saying before, and this applies to Salah as well. And I think it's one of the things that, football fans really, really struggle with. And I do, seeing the clips of Carragher made me laugh, actually. I was thinking, taking more Anfield rap content there, Jamie, and doing it on Monday Night Football. But um, one of the things football fans really struggle with is players who give the ball away. But when you're a Mo Salah or a Naby Keita, you've got to have license to give the ball away. You've got to. It's part, it's literally what you've in there. I remember, uh, I referenced this after the game, I remember years ago, Gerard being asked about Joe Allen's past completion stats and saying, do you not think I could have 100% past completion stats mm-hmm. if I wanted to? That's not my job. My job is to try and play passes that split defences. And if I'm trying to play those passes all the time, I've got to give the ball away and I've got to have licence to do that. And what Ian said before about Naby sort of going into his shell, I think that comes from, he's played a few of those passes. Some of them don't come off. They've had a break. He hasn't got the security of Jordan Henderson standing behind him Mm. and Gino Wijnaldum standing behind him like he did, as as you've said before. And that has a big knock-on effect. So it's almost like, there's so many moving pieces in this that you're trying to bring together all at once. I think we'd have seen a different performance from Keita last night if Henderson had been fit and he'd have played in that midfield. But that's one of the dilemmas of football management, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm with Ian 100%. Like, and I think we'd all like to see Naby have a, have a big run of games. But you get to a point, like even after that game, if you're Oxley Chamber, you're like, I start next game, boss. Because I came on and I changed the match. So my impact should get me in that team ahead of him. And it'll be really interesting to see what he does. The other thing you don't know is, you know, how much pressure these footballers put on themselves as well. You can't measure that. But, you know, there's a there's a gap open there. Henderson's out for three weeks and now he's thinking, well, I could take my chance here, but I've got to play well. Mm. And when you start giving away two or three, you think, fucking hell. It's not going for me yet. And then you can just almost go into your shell because you're, you're so worried, you're so panicking, you start playing it safe and stuff. One thing I will say, arguably Liverpool's certainly one of our biggest games last season as Barcelona underway. Klopp picks them. 
he picks him for that game and he's got other options now he comes off injured which kind of sums up the whole conversation I suppose a little bit mm. but he plays him in that football match and that's a, that's a huge game you've got responsibility going both ways yet the manager thinks he's ideal to play in the new Camp so that tells you a lot about what Klopp thinks of him so I don't think there's any suggestion that he's suddenly going to give up on Naby Keita and that's not what I don't think anyone's saying that in this room right now but I think if you if you still find yourself in this position 12 months time then maybe he has to kind of look at it and go, is it just one of them that hasn't worked? But there's loads of football to play till we get to that moment. And I just think it will come down to, if he can get a bit of a run in the team, you could see a totally different footballer. Well, I think this is where, I think this is where you'd have to, it becomes a bit of a paradox, well, a paradoxical figure in many ways, in that you have to sort of pick his games, but not in the conventional sense. The games that you have to pick for him are often the biggest games. I think he relies on intensity. I think he he often does things where you wonder whether he's often too quick for himself. Mm. He's trying things that are that are three three moves, two moves beyond where things are going. And if the the play isn't in front of him, if the movement isn't in front of him, I think he slows himself down mentally. And I remember Sean saying after the review against Arsenal in the League Cup this season that you see Naby Keita and Mesut Ozil on the pitch with those two groups of players, and you just expect them to run the game. And Keita doesn't, I think he gets hooked. He doesn't really turn up at all. And I think he's one of those players who, to, uh, not, to, not to coin a cliche of being up for it, but I think to get the best out of him, I think he needs that. I think he needs players in his face. I think his best game for Liverpool is Salzburg away, for example. And you think of what everything that was riding on that game at that time. Mm. All the noises coming out of Salzburg, the way they came at Liverpool. I think that's Naby Keita's ideal game. So for your... Example of starting him in the new camp doesn't surprise me at all. Like, if he's fit, I think he started City away. No matter what form he's in, I think he'll probably drop him in because I think that's the type of game where he thinks that's where I can get him to open up. Just on what Liverpool do right, Cope, um, going back to the game, I think that there's got to be a certain amount of credit given to Klopp and his team that, you know, we said before, we've not seen him in this situation too much this season, i.e. being a goal down, especially at home. They don't panic at both 1-2 two and 2-2. Two, two. And I think it'd be really easy to throw the kitchen sink at it from the bench. Arigi, maybe Minamino, okay, he does actually Chamberlain, but that's quite a straightforward sub. But he doesn't do that. And that's definitely justified by the time, you know, you get to 3-2 on, what, 83-84 minutes and you've got that plus five minutes of stoppage time from nowhere to play out. I think he deserve credit there because then he's able to use his subs. And I think the other thing is he knows he's got a problem with our right side because Antonio moves left when West Ham bring Haller on. And that's where I think Ian's, if Ian references Milner, I think that's where Milner comes on. He shuts that side off. But mm. he knows he, I think he knows he needs to do something with that side at some point. But it's all again about holding your nerve really and, and believing that it can get to where it needs to. Yeah, and and in fairness to the to them as a you know as an entire organisation now, the the players and the coaching staff, they've they've got each other's trust, and I think what we saw play out last night was the the game sort of forced us. It was it was weird in a way because as we as we came under pressure and we went behind, it forced us to play the way we want to play. It was weird that for the sort of first hour we weren't we were yeah. as I was saying before we weren't moving them around, we weren't putting them under pressure. And all of a sudden, it's like that muscle memory kicked in of like, oh, let's just get back to the way we, the way we're, we're best. And it and it goes back to the intensity points. Like we're, we played with more intensity. The shape looked better when when Oxley Chamberlain came on. He sort of stick. That, the other thing about Naby playing in that role is he drifts around a lot more. So it, it that's good in some ways, but it, it but it causes your problems as well. 
So I think all that was good. I I, I have to reference as well, though, because I, I hate this. And, and for all for all the praise he gets, he hasn't done it for a long time. I hate the centre back substitution with five minutes left. I hate it. I don't think he's got any other move though. That's that, that with Milner not being on the bench. I know, I know what you mean. But the, as soon as it, as soon as I saw him like stripping off, I was like, I don't like this as a as a psychological substitution. I don't like it because the message it sends out to your team is, and the message it sends to the other, the other side is. We're just going to take. We're going to just going to take your. You having possession and you launching balls up for five minutes. I think if you ask, because Joel Matter was getting dogs abuse because he came on, made two mistakes, gave the ball away twice, and then gave away a free kick. I'm I'm saying if you're Joel Matter, when he says to you, you're going on five minutes. You're going. Are, are you sure? Like I'm not sure this is a good idea. You know, mate. I'm not. In, I haven't been playing. I'm dead rusty. It's literally freezing cold and I'm cold on the bench. And Antonio, as he referenced before, is Pele against Liverpool. <laughs> so he's going to come, like, guaranteed 100%, as soon as I come on, mm. David Moyes is going to say to Antonio, lad, just <clears throat> anywhere you can get around this lad who hasn't played for ages, go and get him. But the other thing about it was, he came on and gestured to go, go to, to Joe Gomez. We're going into a back three. So... There wasn't the Joe. The, we often see that shift where Gomez will go right back and yeah. Trent goes right mid. It wasn't. We changed our shape. So for five minutes of stoppage time, you sort of saw the midfield looking at each other, saying, "Where am I meant to be now?" And I just think those sort of little knock-ons you don't need because at that point we had going back to the positive point, we were dominant. Like when we scored the goal that we that got disallowed, we were dominant. We could have just romped home then if we if we'd have got a fourth. If that accounted, we probably got a fifth. And my massive preference in those situations is just keep them on the back foot. Just leave leave Mane on the pitch. Keep keep the ball at their end of the pitch. We go to a 4 4 one one even we equalise, straight after we equalise. And I think that suits us in terms of where Oxlade-Chamberlain comes into it because then we're stretching them wide. And like I said before, they seem really intent on compact, wide, sorry, central areas. And there's just tons of room then. But like I said, I don't, unless he does Lalana instead of Matip, and maybe goes to, to five in midfield, four, two, three, one, maybe. I don't know. He might not want to commit that many men forward, but I think he gets it right for what he has. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I, my initial reaction was similar to Cope's. I felt a bit nervous. I do think it sends a message out, um, both to players, but actually to fans as well. And it makes it feel a little bit nervous in the ground and stuff. And, you know, Matip hasn't played for a long time, so it, it, it did worry me because... When you are that rusty and you're out of rhythm, the easiest thing to do is just hang a leg out and start, and then bring someone down or give a needless free kick away because you you kind of you're almost trying too much. So it 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 did worry me a little bit. It's not something I want to see. And as you said, Kobe, it's not something he's reverted to for a while. It seems, but yeah, it just felt like it added a little bit um, to the to the cauldron of pressure and stuff. But in terms of the shape and, and shifting last night, I mean, you know, you've got to give the manager credit because you know Salah suddenly finds himself kind of more central and stuff, and that's where the, mm. the goal comes from um, from finding himself in the central area. All right, Fabianski should do better, and you could probably say he should do better in all three goals. To be honest, a bit of an unusual night for the goalkeeper, someone who's probably been when he's been playing probably their best player. Um, so yeah, I think one or two um, system changes certainly paid off last night for both managers. But that one at the end, yeah, it did it did panic me a little bit. To 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 end on that on a positive point for Klopp, I think because I've forgotten about that in fairness, and that the shift something I love about being at the ground and being high up is you get to watch the players interacting. And when when Salah was basically like, I'm going down the middle now, lads. Yeah. I I feel like with Klopp and, and with the coaching staff, there's almost like a sense for that with Salah, like. He's got he's got the taste of this game now, and and he's going to be way more dangerous right down the middle. 
And when that happened, we were we were so dangerous during that spell. Indeed. Thank you very much to Paul, to Ian and to Lizzie for producing. Watford on Saturday, another step closer, hopefully. Sports Social Podcast Network.